beautiful song. Enjoy that and appreciate it very much. All the music. Anybody want to sing today? <laughs> okay. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't want that. Although I was thinking about trying something, but and my wife was supposed to be in here to help me, but she didn't come in, so she must have backed out. I had a couple of them, actually. Oh, well. We'll just have to try them later because you're not going to get me to do it by myself. I've tried that before, and it didn't, didn't work. Um, Wanda and Charlie, you're heading for Indiana tomorrow? Tuesday? They're going up to the land of corn and cantaloupe and go that, get the good stuff. Good tomatoes. Well, it might be a little bit early for tomatoes. I don't know. They, they don't. I heard of some that have had them. My aunt, who's always got her garden out early. My mom, she never gets hers out early. It's always a little bit later. And I'm late this year. I don't have any tomatoes yet. Red ones, anyway. I got plenty of green ones. But anyway, we will be going to Indiana Labor Day weekend. Um, so I know the tomatoes will be ripe then, for sure. And the red raspberries. Taken off for those, so looking forward to that. Okay, um, Psalm 101. Boy, as soon as Jerry said, I'm going to read from the Psalms, you always get, uh, is he going to read right from the one I'm going to preach from? Which would have been okay. That was, it would have been all right. Nothing like repetition to get something in our hearts anyway. Psalm 101 is a really a neat, neat psalm, and I really enjoyed it tremendously. And it follows upon, it's a psalm about David and um, the ethical principles that he determined to set forth for his kingdom. And it really is, you know, the psalms, the, the, the men who had the job of maintaining the records for the nation of Israel. You know, kept these psalms. Of course, they were in scrolls, you know. So if you could imagine, about 150 scrolls all piled up, you know. But uh, they arranged these in a particular order. And they did so with full knowledge and understanding and with a purpose in view. And this one here, I think, is in its perfect place. Um, if you turn back to Psalm 96, I think I've noted these before, but we'll take note of them again this morning. In Psalm 96 and verse 10, these, this begins what they call the coronation psalms or the theocratic psalms. They all deal with God as king. And you'll notice in verse 10, he says there, say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. And then if you look at Psalm 97 in verse 1, it says the Lord reigneth. In Psalm 98 and verse 6, he says, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the king. And then in Psalm 91 or 9, he says in verse 1, the Lord reigneth. Now, there's no mention in Psalm 100 because that's a follow-up to these other psalms. 
in worshiping the Lord and giving due uh, acknowledgement to the one who is the king and the creator over the universe. But then we come to Psalm 101, which deals with David. And it's David as a king. And so David here, in view of the Lord as king, and of course these who arranged the Psalms in this order, placed it here with full recognition uh, that there are principles for God's rulership, those who would be in positions of authority to rule. Now, we've seen other psalms that <laughs> reflect this also. If, if you turn back just very briefly, just keep your finger there at Psalm 101 and look at Psalm 2 just for a moment. Psalm 2 is about God's establishment of his king over the earth. It's about his Messiah. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, right at the end of the verse, it says the kings of the earth uh, have set themselves against his anointed, that is, his Messiah. And, of course, we know that refers to Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, and here he's talking about his anointed one and the setting of him upon his throne. And in verse um, 6, he says, I have set my king... That is, I have established or appointed my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, of course, that was in Jerusalem, the city that God has set his heart upon. And this is where his king will reign. Well, then, if you turn over just a few pages to the right, to the Psalm 15, <clears throat> you know, if the Lord is going to reign and set his king upon his holy hill in Zion, it would be interesting to know then who that the Lord would invite to come and serve with him there and dwell with him there. And in Psalm 15, he, this writer here asked the question. Interestingly enough, it's David. And David says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? In other words, who is it then that would be allowed to dwell in the Lord's presence and participate in that which he has established over the earth, his righteous rule? Who will get to share in that? And throughout the next four verses, he gives some guiding principles of the kind of person that it would be. The one that walks uprightly, Works righteousness, speaks the truth in his heart in verse 2. In verse 3, he doesn't backbite with his tongue. He doesn't uh, do evil to his neighbor. He doesn't take up a reproach against his neighbor. Boy, that talks about some good upstanding citizens in this particular kingdom rule that he's speaking of here. He says in verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned or condemned. In other words, they look down on a person who is vile. They don't, in other words, they don't do as we do in our society today. 
well, we, we're pluralistic. We make room. We consider the other person's view. We take thought for, what, what do you think about that? He said, no, a vile person is contemned. But, the honor, but he honors them that fear the Lord. Well, that's not who we see honored today. And then he that swears to his own herd and changes not. He that puts not out his money to usury. Abuse, financial abuse of those who are in a position where they have to borrow and charging them excess far beyond what is reasonable. Nor takes reward against the innocent. He's not doesn't get himself involved in bribes. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And then we could go over to Psalm 24. And you have the same kind of a situation. The psalmist starts out. And of course it's David again. Speaking about. Notice what he says to start the psalm. The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to him. But in verse 3, he asks the same question again. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And he answers here with, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully with deception. Now, what you're looking at here are some high moral, ethical standards for government. God's rule over the earth. And anyone who expects to be a part of that will have the same kinds of ethical standards in their own life. Because those are the only ones God is going to invite to share in that coming government. When he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come rule this earth... These are the kinds of people he will invite to share in that rule. And it's just exactly the opposite of what you'll find in the earth today. And amongst the kings of the earth, the rulers of this earth, I just read an article recently about lying and its pervasiveness in society. But boy, you think it's pervasive throughout society. Try taking a look at our government. Or any other government. Remember WikiLeaks? Think about all the things that came out there. What these governments were telling each other back and forth through emails. Supposedly secure. And then all of a sudden these things came out. And I mean it hits everybody. Now I, I visit the websites of the Bahamas. The news websites. Simply why would you think I would do that? Well, we lived there for five years. We have an invested interest in that place. They're, de- they're, they're exposing all the things that were said there on, through WikiLeaks as well. This hits a lot of nations of the earth. Lying goes on regularly. Deceitfulness. It's the, it's the order of the day from the people of the world. And we're not to live like that. And if we do live like that, we have no right to expect that we'll ever be invited to share 
in a kingdom in which these principles do not exist and will not be allowed to exist. If you turn over to Psalm 99, remember now we're in those coronation psalms where God is being exalted as king, the one who reigns over everything. And look at the last verse, verse 9 of Psalm 99. He says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. And so he has some high, lofty standards. And when we try to live by these standards and put them into our own lives, if you don't clash with the field, you know, the workforce around you and society and culture around you with the neighbors that are surrounding you, you know, then something's going to be wrong there because that's not the way the world functions. It's anything I have to do to survive. Whatever I have to say, you know, to make another rung up the ladder. Anything I have to do or say to get myself out of a jam. In other words, whatever works, that's what I'll do. And David here in Psalm 101 is setting forth some principles that he determined he was going to live by in his kingdom. Now, you would tend to think, and some do, that this was something that David wrote, this psalm, you know, either before he actually became king or, you know, during the time period. Remember, he had been anointed three different times sometime during that, that time period. But others think that this was a, at a later moment, sometime after David had become king. Now, I have a tendency to think it was probably pretty early on. But nonetheless, look at what he says here, beginning with verse 1. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart or a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Or allow, permit. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Verse 7 says, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Now, there's some pretty strong medicine there. In those first five verses there, you see, I will, I will, will I, I will, I will. This was David's determination, a setting forth, as it were, some would say, a manifesto, a creed, 
of how he was going to run his government. But it wasn't just something that David made up and decided to do. It was because he knew his Lord. He knew God's principles and ways. The psalm that Jerry just read for us a little bit earlier, as you well know, is quoted for us the last half of it in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, chapter 3 in particular. And in that psalm, he was upset, basically, with the children of Israel because he says, they did not know my ways. But what did David, you read many of David's psalms, he says, Lord, teach me thy ways. That's a prayer we ought to all be praying. Lord, teach me your ways. And, of course, the implication, the very clear implication then is, is if you understand and see the Lord's ways, then it's our duty to walk in those ways. It will be a shameful thing and a reproach that will come right back on our own heads if we understand the ways of God and then we don't do it. We don't follow through. David here says, as a matter of a first order, he says, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Mercy and judgment. When he says here that he will sing... It's just like we did this morning. We sang. But you'll see the word sing comes at the end of the verse also, and it's a different word, a different Hebrew word. And that word means basically to sing praises or to make melody on an instrument. In other words, just like we know David to be, he played on the harp or the lyre or whatever it was and sang to the Lord. And the theme of his song, the theme of his whole life and administration here as a ruler, a king, was to be covered with mercy and judgment. Now, the word mercy is a key word here. This word is used many, many times throughout the Old Testament, and I've mentioned it before. It's this word hesed or if you're going to say it in Hebrew, it's that guttural sound, which I have not been able to master at all, so I just say hesed. And it's often translated loving kindness or just kindness. And it carries that idea of I will deal in a kind, loving, gentle, compassionate way. And you could... Do a search on that word, and you'll find it many, many times in the Old Testament. But then he balances this out with judgment. You know, and it's just like the word implies. You're standing before a judge. The judge pronounces a verdict, and it's done. The matter is dealt with. Whatever the sentence is, is to be carried out. Now, if you sat back and thought about a king and his whole administration as a king consisted only of judgment, you could envision how this would become a very harsh, 
dictatorial type of a kingdom, wouldn't it? And a king who administered his laws in a very cold-hearted fashion. But you'll see that he, it's all balanced out with loving kindness. Loving kindness prevents justice from becoming harsh. Justice prevents the loving kindness from becoming soft and weak. Or, as one writer said, it prevents it from becoming flabby. <laughs> In other words, a king who only ruled with loving kindness and gentleness and, you know, and all the other attributes that could be wrapped up in that word wouldn't have a very effective kingdom for long. And so these two words characterize in great detail what the future kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will be like. There will be great judgment administered, yes. And there will be a rule with a rod of iron, yes. But it will be balanced out with mercy and loving kindness. In other words, it will be a kingdom run in perfect balance, administered in the most ideal way that you could possibly imagine. And it seems to me that what God is giving us here through this Psalm of David in an earthly sense is nothing but a foretaste. It's a look ahead at what we can expect God's future rule over the earth to be like. And so David's heart is overwhelmed with this. He's going to sing to the Lord about his mercy and his judgment. And you can't get the fullness of all of this without verse 2 because he says in verse 2, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will behave myself Wisely, You know, that word is translated understanding in other places. In other words, David says, I will behave myself. I will conduct myself with understanding. Why with understanding? Because he understood God. He understood the ways of the Lord. And he wanted to run his kingdom, administer his kingdom according to the ways of the Lord. He did so with understanding. And he says in a perfect way. Now that word perfect doesn't mean perfect in the sense that God is perfect. But in a complete, full, sincere, truthful, undefiled way. In other words, in the fullest possible expression that a man could do before the Lord and before the world... As a godly person, he was going to conduct his government. Now, of course, you might say, well, I don't think David made it. <laughs> well, he didn't. And we all know that the scripture and God in revealing to us things in scripture and the lives of men, he doesn't hold back anything. He just lets the bumps fall where they may. And if there are blemishes on a person's life, he speaks openly about them. The great thing we find about David is that when he fell into sin, 
he repented. He turned back to the Lord. He confessed his sin and he made things right. He paid the price for his sin, particularly in his family, but also in his government. It affected him right to the highest level. I mean, you talk about drama in a person's life. Oh, man. You know, sometimes we wonder when the troubles and trials and problems come up on us, we think, well, when will it ever end? I can't imagine what David's life must have been like. And I'm thinking, well, that, that, that Old Testament expression that you see frequently, how long, oh, Lord, how long is it ever going to come to an end? Will it ever stop? Well, of course it will, but not in this lifetime. There's coming a day. That's why we walk by faith looking for that future day when these kinds of principles will be practiced in absolute perfect fulfillment. And God is looking for men and women today that he will be able to call upon to co-rule with his son in his future administration. So consequently, David says, I'm going to rule with wisdom and understanding. I'll behave myself wisely. You know, I want us to look at just a couple of verses. Um, I wish I could have time to look at all of them. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1 for the moment. Joshua chapter 1. I probably should mention at least, you know, back in Genesis 3, The very first mention of this word was when Eve partook of the fruit of the tree. And it says there she saw that it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise. And there we find that same word. She saw, now there's a whole lot that could be built right off of that verse. And all that's implied with the wisdom that she saw in that tree that God at that time forbid them to eat from. But if we look in Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 8. You remember there he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. In verse 8, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And the, word, good, the success there is our same word, good understanding. Verse 9 says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. This words of the law, the words of this book, the Torah, were words to guide the nation. 
And Joshua is being encouraged to consider those words, to follow them to their fullest, and in doing so, he would have good success. The proper, right understanding of God's ways. I'd like to look at one other passage here at least. Yeah, one more at least. 1 Samuel and chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18 and we'll find that this phrase is something that describes David several on several occasions. He behaved himself wisely. Look in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel and verse 5. And notice what it says there. David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. Now, he wasn't king yet. Verse 14, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Verse 15, wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Look over at um, verse 30. I think it's verse 30, 18. Yeah, verse 30. Am I right? Yes. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. Now, that's interesting verse as well, because you see how this behavior of David set himself apart completely from the reign of Saul. And we all know what kind of government administration that he had and how he lost his privilege. David conducted himself in a completely different way. Then turn back to our our psalm here, Psalm 101, and then go over to the right a couple pages to Psalm 106. And look at, look at verse, uh, now this psalm is, rehearses the history of, of Israel and how they were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness and so on and how, uh, you know, just in a very brief account of all that occurred with them. And in verse 6, he says there, we have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. Now, the word understood there is the negative, understood not. They did not behave themselves wisely in Egypt concerning the wonders that God did. That shows us the opposite view of this meaning of this word. So the whole point here is that David, you know, he was a man who had integrity of heart, who, as we know, was a man after God's own heart, the scripture says. And he determined along those lines to live his life and to be the kind of king that was pleasing to God. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I don't think David means you know, the home, the four walls that he lived in exclusively. But you remember that God had promised David a house, a lineage, a family, a heritage 
In other words, he's talking about house here in a, in a broader aspect. And house here, I think, in this context includes the heritage of David's administration, his rule over Israel. And he said, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart, that is, with integrity, with uprightness, or with honesty. And so in view of that then, he says in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now, if you've ever been in a youth ministry, you'd hear somebody preaching on that verse about not setting wicked things before your eyes and, you know, TV and all kinds of other things. But he's talking about, and that could include that, by the way, but the word is where we get our word for Belial. Is talking about worthless things. Things that do not help me along towards that ultimate path of a future rule with Christ. And David knew that if he would stop in his own heart and consider the things of Belial or the worthless things, they would not help him be successful in his rule as a king over Israel. And so he determined not to do that. He also says there, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me to turn aside or to fall away. In other words, to depart from the laws of the Lord, to depart from those high and lofty standards and principles that God had decreed for the nation. That would include the Ten Commandments. He says in verse 4, a froward or a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Not only would he avoid perverseness in his own heart, but I'm not going to allow those to be around me who have a perverse heart and who act wickedly. Now you remember, it's kind of an irony, but you remember... Remember David's early on when he was running from Saul, his 600 men? And they were all described as what? Do you remember? Worthless fellows, <laughs> disgruntled people. But you know what? They, their heart was loyal towards David. And that's what David was looking for. Men who had a loyal heart towards him. Verse 5 says, Whoso privily or secretly slanders his neighbor. That would take in a little bit of gossip, I reckon, wouldn't it? Him will I cut off. Now you have to understand, what's he talking about here? What does he mean, cut him off? He will separate them, remove them from any portion of his administration and his rule. And if it meant putting them to death, then that's what would happen to them. They'd be put to death. He also says, him that has a high look, a haughty look, an arrogant person, and a person of a proud heart, Will I not suffer? I won't, in other words, I won't 
permit, I won't allow, I won't put up with an arrogant and a haughty person. They were going to have no part of David's kingdom, no part of his rule. Remember now, just take note in your mind, Psalm 15, Psalm 24. Remember those Psalms of David and those principles that were enumerated there and those who would dwell in God's holy hill with his king who will be set or enthroned upon that holy hill. Well, finally, he turns in verse 6, and we see a little bit of a turn here. He speaks more on the positive. He says, mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me, abide with me. Well, that's what David had asked earlier. Who shall dwell in thy tabernacle? Who shall abide in thy holy hill, Lord? Well, David drew from those principles and said, if those are the kinds of people that will dwell in God's holy hill, then they're not going to dwell with me either. I'm going to, these wicked ones, I'm going to look to the faithful of the land, the trustworthy, those who are loyal and devoted. And also, he says, he that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. That word in a perfect way is in, in an un, unblemished way. Or as another translated it, an unspotted way. It's the same word when the Lord told the people of Israel to pick out a lamb without spot and without blemish. Same word. Now, you understand, of course, there is, you know, when you talk about ideals, you know, you only have one that's absolutely perfect. Beyond that, you have to look for an ideal. I think it was Lang that wrote a little booklet called Ideals and Realities. I need to go back and reread that. I haven't read that for several years now. Now, now, I just, that popped into my mind. Sorry. But his point here is, is that this one who walks in an unspotted way, an undefiled way, an unblemished way, this is the kind of person who I, I will surround myself with. I remember years ago, a preacher had a sermon he preached, uh, called Surround Yourself with Champions. And he was talking about pastors and leadership and so on. And the whole idea was, you know, you need to surround yourself with people of godly character. That's what David's talking about here. In my kingdom, I'm going to surround myself with people of character, people who are unblemished. He shall serve me. And then in verse 7, he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. David had no place for underhandedness and slight and lies and crookedness 
or any of those other kinds of things that would fall within this word deceit. He just wouldn't have them. By the way, does that remind us of anything in the New Testament when the Bible says those who were not fit for the Lord's presence at the wedding banquet, they would be cast out into the darkness outside? It's the same principle. There's nothing different being spoken of here. The ethical standards and moral principles that God has laid down for those who will dwell with him and abide with him are made abundantly clear both here and in the New Testament writers. I'm going to, we're going to and revisit that just in a minute. Notice in verse 8, he says, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. Now, some took that early in the day. In other words, the first order of the day, David would deal with all the perverse and wicked, and he's just going to get them out of the way each day, going to take care of it. Well, it's not a bad principle you know, to live by, but it could also mean that he will do immediate justice. In other words, he wasn't going to let things drag on and on. He would deal with something on the spot. And that's exactly how it will be in the Lord's kingdom, in the millennium. Things will be dealt with swiftly and justly, and they will not be allowed to linger. Today is the day of the Lord's long suffering. Today is the day of God's loving patience with you and I, waiting for us to repent, waiting for us graciously to turn to him and to serve him with joyfulness and gladness of heart. And then notice what that last verse, the last half of verse 8 says, that I may cut off all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. And I see an interesting principle here. It doesn't say here that David cut them clear out of his kingdom. They were removed from the city. And the same principle we see in the New Testament, which I don't have time to turn there at Matthew 22, regarding the casting from the wedding banquet into the outer darkness, the darkness outside. You know, long before I ever saw this verse, I understood there that the, the, the person being cast into outer darkness was simply being removed from the joys and the festivities of the king's wedding banquet for his son. He wasn't removed from the kingdom. David is saying the same thing here. He's not removing them entirely from the land of Israel, but they are being removed from the city of God. From the city of God is where Zion is. Zion is where David was appealing back there, remember, in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24, asking the question, well, who will get to dwell or abide with my king, with you, Lord, in your holy hill, which is in Zion, which is in Jerusalem, the city of God? And it's these people, these kinds of people are the ones who will get to dwell there. 
two things. Turn back to Psalm 6. I've alluded to this and and somewhere in the time past. I do remember that, but just don't remember where. But in Psalm 6, it's a Psalm of David. (coughs) And notice what he says there in verse 8. He says, depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. In other words, those who are not adhering to and abiding by these high standards of of conduct and ethics, he says, depart from me. Now, if you'll turn over to Matthew's gospel and chapter 7, we find Jesus quoting that verse. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. And you remember, we've heard, we've, we've, you've read this verse hundreds of times probably. Maybe know it by heart. Where Jesus says to his disciples, he says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. In that day, in other words, when that day comes and my kingdom is to be established, my righteous rule, and it comes time for me to select, those who I'm going to invite to come and be participants in my coming kingdom, he says, I will profess unto them in verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And that's a virtual quote from Psalm 6 in verse 8. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And that's what he's going to say to them. I don't think he's going to throw them clear out of the kingdom. That's my personal view. But he is going to disallow them from any participation in his rule. And, of course, you know, we think, well, what? okay, give us the big deal here. Well, the big deal is, is that God holds out for us co-ruling with his son as the highest, loftiest, most blessed thing he could ever hand to his creation, to a human being. And the reason is because that is a fulfillment of the very purpose for which he created us and made us, is to share in that future rule. All we would have to do is go back to Genesis 1 and find out that when he created man and woman, he created them to have dominion, to be rulers. And the future is all about who is going to ultimately rule. You know, that's one way and one reason I think about when I think about the nation of Israel, when I think about the city of Jerusalem and all the troubles that are going on there today, I don't really have to worry about it because God is going to take care of it all. He is keeping that city under his watchful eye. And when the time is right, 
He's going to deal with that. And his son is going to return. His son is going to take that throne and rule this earth. And all those promises that he gave are going to be restored. And it's up to you and I now to live by faith in view of that coming day. So that when the time comes, we will receive that royal, as Peter calls it, abundant, rich, abundant welcome into his age-abiding kingdom, that millennial rule. And I'm looking forward to that day when he says, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I'll tell you, that's something to look forward to with great, great anticipation. It is something that will help us endure the trials of daily life right now. Live by faith. The just, he says, shall live by faith. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you now for this opportunity to once again look to your word. To look to your word for help, for sustenance, for faith. Thank you, Father, for revealing the precious truths of God to us and giving us the ability to see these things and to believe what you have given to us. You've given us a a great abundance and and the, the fullness and richness of God in your own son, Jesus, the anointed one. Let us look to him, Father, in full faith and understanding. Give us strength, O Lord, I pray, to walk wisely in this world to see the ways of the world and to be able to make sound judgment between that and the ways of God and then Lord help us to be courageous to live our lives accordingly because if we do we know that in that coming day you're going to be well pleased with us In Jesus' name we pray, amen.